Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. Welcome to part two of my interview with Angela Gishaga. For you, what are some of your memorable moments as a leader? My memorable moments, I would say earning the respect of my government team. So whatever role I took in government, um, to the best of my knowledge, at the time I was taking up the role, I was always the youngest. And earning that respect from people who are your parents' age or older, you know, is, is challenging, right? They may respect the office you hold, but do they respect you as an individual, right? It's different. Uh, it's a false dichotomy, but it needs to exist. You know, in my role in, in, in Meru, you know, the day I earned it, and that one I had to really earn, was um, the day I found I had a, a very um, difficult situation and someone was being insubordinate. And, you know, insubordination, especially in government, is very, it's a very, very bad thing, right? And I, I realized, and I, I was talking to one of my mentors at that time, and I was like, I can't believe this person is doing this. I'm just, I'm why are they doing this? And my mentor was like, you know, Angela, you need to make a decision, right? You can either decide to react to this insubordination, or you can decide to respond to it. And what you will do if you react and respond are different. And he said, you have to make up certain decisions in your mind. And so I decided at that point that I never, ever, ever want to deal with insubordination ever in my life. And at that time, I thought I'd been government for a very long time. And so it was important that how I respond to this insubordination would not be commensurate with the level of insubordination, but would be in a way that it be a lesson to this person and anyone else who insubordination ever crosses their mind. <laughs> and it will not be acceptable. I remember I was just talking to someone the other day and they're like, hey, Angela, you, where? From that day, and I was like, where? Don't mess with Angela. And I, and I said, if you look at the, I, the situation in isolation, you know, what the person did and how I responded, just those two, you'll be like, okay, Angela, this person came to war with a toothpick, you came with a tanker. You know, it was not a fair match, but that wasn't the point. I wanted to make a point, and that point was bigger than the situation. And I knew that that point would be relevant into the future. And so when you think, when you step back and to the point I'm making, when you look at the situation in full, I want to assure you, George, that no matter what else I dealt with in government, <laughs> Insubordination was not one of them in my future roles, right? It sounds very eerily and very wow, negative and woof. But I think it's important that one, leadership is about decision making. And at certain points in your leadership journey, you will be faced with certain decisions that you have to make. You will not enjoy all the decisions you make. And some decisions you make have ramifications beyond even the situation you're making decisions for. You have to be very intentional around those decisions. So that is one of the most memorable moments. It, 
it's not a positive moment, so to say, but it had a very long-term impact in my journey. The second was when I was in Garbatula, I mean, very interesting time, wisdom. Now, uh, like I said, Garbatula, most of the people there were either on disciplinary or, you know, like either you're from the area or you're on disciplinary, you know, like there weren't too many different categories of people. So you can imagine uh, being in charge of uh, such a diverse group. Some really good people, don't get me wrong, but you had a higher proportion of not so good people, so to say, in the team. And my most memorable moments, both again in Meru and Garbatula, was learning a, a type of wisdom that a resource-constrained setting like the government gives you, right? And that is a wisdom that is beyond the basics of good and bad black or white. If there's something that my almost 15 years serving public sector has taught me is that there are so many shades of gray, George. And it has been a tension between what I do as a living and my faith, because there are no shades of gray in, in, you know, in, in faith, right? But the reality of the work I do, there's so many shades of gray. And, you know, when you see, like, for example, someone has stolen you know, people are like, oh, someone has stolen, get rid of them, right? Of course, automatically, like, get rid of the thief. But then in government, you need to pause and think of what are the ramifications of this? Are you even able to get rid of them? What are the ramifications? You know, at least now you know this is the one thief, right? So I'll give an example. Um, I had a situation where um, we had someone who was in charge of the store warehouse, and they were a thief, you know? They were the main supplier of the town, you know, from the supplies we used to receive. And um, so in my head, I was like, wow, this guy is stealing. Then I thought, okay, but at least he's the only one who has access to the store. So I know he's a thief, right? If I get rid of him, that means I transfer him or whatever. We have no stockkeeper. Now everyone has access, right? That creates more loopholes. Secondly, I get rid of him. In those days, getting people, especially to leave the big towns and living in Nairobi, no one. So you might stay a long time without even a stockkeeper. So who's going to do that work, right? Then the third thing is, the reason he's stealing is because there's a lot in the store. If we can deal with the usage and utilization of what is in the store, he has less to supply the town. And the less he can supply the town, the less reliable he is, the more the town people will look for other sources. So I needed to increase the utilization, lock some loopholes, put this person on disciplinary, but not transfer, put some backup. You get, you get like, uh, in some corporate settings, they oh, you're a thief, out, you know, and the system works, yeah? You replace the person, it works. The other systems don't actually work as that. So I think wisdom and learning how to not go always for the obvious answers, like just to step back and think, okay, what's the bigger picture here? What's the systemic impact of what I'm going to do? I can get rid of this person and I've gotten rid of the thief, but what has that opened up in the larger system? So my most memorable moments in leadership is where I have been faced with a challenge that required that so-called, well, I call it wisdom, you know, like step back, look at the situation. Your instinct is to do this, but no. If you do this, like scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, okay, step back. What is it that you can do that then locks loopholes as you are treading water to do something? So thanks for sharing that quite good insights also. You know, you, mm -hmm. you mentioned a mentor, you've mentioned your mom telling you mm -hmm. that advice over your leadership journey, who have been some mentors and influencers who have helped you become better in your role? 
Gosh, uh, you know, and this is so key to that leaders are actually made, right? Uh, not only just born. God, uh, my support system and my, what I would say, insatiable hunger to learn have been very influential in my leadership development. For me, the Bible is such a goldmine for leadership lessons. It's a goldmine for many things, actually. You know, if it's drama, suspense, romance, you know, the Bible. Now when stories read the Bible, they're like, ah, <laughs> what? He did what? Um, and so, and I know that God has and continues to speak to me through his word and giving me relevant lessons that I need to apply. So I always try to do my best because God is, is not mediocre. God is not mediocre, right? And he created us in his image. Um, so I know I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me and I will do my best. It will never match up. And that's not the point, right? Like, but I will strive to do that. And reading the Bible to hear what God asks of me, expects of me and lessons from other people has really shaped how I think about leadership. Because for me, it's not about a title. It's not about it's not about the extra commas and zeros in my paycheck. It's not about, like, I have grown past that. You know, it's been many years and many mistakes, right? And I've now learned that it's not about me. It's not about me. And that is the most freeing, but also the most depressing realization of leadership, right? Because then the sacrifices that continue to be expected of you are are quite significant and you know that you have made the commitment to make those so god the bible key influences support system my family my friends my mentors they challenge me they admonish me <laughs> they encourage me they celebrate me and they also tolerate me right they tolerate my absence and missing key uh, events of life they they tolerate my complaining they tolerate my tears and my outbursts and having somewhere where even you go to be, to be who you are fully. And I'm not saying that in leadership, you're not who you are fully. It's just that you apply yourself so much that sometimes you just want to be silly. You just want, you know, you just want to be the irresponsible person. In the, even me, I want to be irresponsible, okay? I'm tired of picking up after people, <laughs> you know? And, and the support system where you go and the shields and the armor comes off and you're just you're just you right and you know people are like oh you're meant to be authentic leader like authentic leader is not being who if i was angela truly if i was just angela in the workplace wow wow whoa and to my team whoa okay angela has to lead herself and show up as that version of angela to be the leader that she needs to be in the workplace because some of the things i would love to say to my team and I bite my tongue <laughs> because Angela cannot show up as that. Angela has to lead herself <laughs> to make sure that, the, you know, her words will not, will build and not destroy, to make sure, you know, like, and so I think this is something we can discuss for, till the cows come home. But I do think that people have watered down what authentic leadership means to be like, ah, just show up as you are. Hey, you do not want me to show up. As I <laughs> be assured. And then also, I'm always seeking to be better. And, you know, I read books, I read the Bible, I do fellowship leadership. Fellowships, I join, you know, like the Breakfast Club. Africa. I, like, I join entities that also have leaders 
you know, that then you go there and you're like, Ooh, you go there with your problem and you're like, oh, I'm drowning. And then you hear someone else's problem. You're like, hey, let me just take my problems. <laughs> this is a burden I can carry. <laughs> Forget the other, you know. And I, and I love those spaces where I'm in the room with other leaders and it's a safe space because it's like leadership anonymous. Like, wow, you learn so much, but you also realize, hey, I'm not badly off. Wow, wow, wow. Hey, it can get worse, <laughs> but it can also get better. So seeking those spaces, insights, either from people, from mentors who've gone before, who've done it before, from books, from the Bible, and just con- like being a sponge. I am, I am a sponge. I, I, I do describe myself to some extent as a sponge. And I love being in places where I can go and imbibe and then later I'll process and like, okay, this I'll accept this and I won't accept. This makes sense to me. But I love being in such spaces, you know, and being a sponge. Which is the best, you can say, leadership advice you've ever received? Don't be afraid to stand out by Mommy Dearest. It's actually all inspiring when I had that and how it has been so relevant for so long. So that's one of them. For those who more is given, more is expected, you know, the best book in the world, the Bible. And this is something, I don't know if I had it somewhere or I had it and refined it, but I love this and I keep it in my mind all the time. You know, everyone is entitled to an opinion. Not all opinions matter. And from the few that matter, they don't matter equally. And this has guided me on knowing who gets the right to speak into my life. Who gets the right to speak into my leadership journey? Who gets the right and privilege to speak into who I am? And I have to be very intentional about who that is in what area of my life. The other one is no student is greater than the master. Again, the Bible. And that is why for me, mentors are so, so key. So like looking up to someone and allowing that person to admonish, challenge, celebrate, encourage you and figure out how to navigate steps based on what they have experienced. Um, the realization of it's not all about me. Hey, like I said, it was, it, was quite, it was quite sad, quite a sad realization, um, but very eye-opening because it refined my leadership in such a way that sometimes people do ask me, why do you, Andy, but why do you do this? Why? Like you could be paid way more and do way less in different, but I'm like, this, this is my purpose. And this is, this is what I've been called to do at this, in this season of my life. There'll be another season of my life, I may be called to do something else that is still purpose aligned, right? And then I love this one, and I don't know why I read it, but it's, it says, it doesn't get easier, you just get better. The worst leadership advice you've ever gotten. <laughs> oh, George, hands on off. A leader is, a leader is meant to, oh, inspire. A leader is meant to be great. A leader, you know, I, I perceive that the idea of leadership has been so warped in society, right? Uh, and then people, they take that warped idea and then they place leaders on a pedestal. Leaders are human, just with way more responsibility <laughs> than they potentially would want to have. And unfortunately, people who are very early on in their journey, and that is why I said coaching and leadership development, 
is that tend to listen to other people and what they think the idea of leadership is, and then try, and then they put themselves in this straight jacket. You know, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. Leadership is a very, very personal journey that manifests publicly. And for me, the hardest person I have to lead is myself, right? It is the leading of myself and the responsibility I have in that process that then shapes my leadership journey and who I am as a leader and how I lead, right? But the problem is the expectations of others in society and what they think and have perceived and what they're trying to put on you may not be aligned to that. And it's not very easy for some of us who've decided, I'm not going to take on that expectation. Like I said, you know, the person told me, I don't find it inspiring. I was like, the feeling is mutual. You will not outsource your expectation (laughs) of being inspired to me, right? Because let's be very honest, you don't inspire me as well. And you're not particularly inspiring. (laughs) And who told you that it is my sole responsibility to be your sole provider of inspiration as an adult? George, as you can tell, I'm... (laughs) Uh, I was told I need to learn how to sugarcoat eh? <laughs> the, the blunt knife cuts too sharply <laughs> it needs to be the, the sharp knife is too sharp eh? it needs to be blunted um, but I, I, I don't take advice or accept expectations from someone who does not meet the same expectations themselves you don't have to meet them the same level but you cannot be telling me you know you're not this I'm like ah how do you know you're, you're not that as well so how do you know what it takes to be that? And what makes you think that you can expect that of me? It's not taken well, <laughs> as you can imagine, George, but I will speak my authentic truth. Oh, wow. Um, that's amazing. And that's quite unique, the way you approach and the way you address things. And I think very real. It's very, very true what you're saying. Mm. We've put leaders, we've romanticized if I'm to say mm-hmm. you know leadership and all these leadership books and leadership gurus leadership development and all these things I mean it's crazy mm-hmm. so I'm just curious how did you get to that place where you have that view where you you respond to those stereotypes that way I'm just mm. curious yeah well George I think so for me and it's it's true we've over romanticized leadership and I think it was my experience of learning leadership, right? And, you know, I would read books and it's like, everyone's like, ah, oh, leaders, and I'm struggling. I'm struggling, you know? And I was like, am I the one who's struggling? I'm like, what is this image of perfection? You know, and I think two things. One, many of what has been written down describes the end journey, but not the process of getting there. And so if you are at step one, you don't understand that there are multiple steps to get to that end journey. And so you're already expecting the end journey results on day one. And so in the struggle of getting there, you give up because you tell yourself, maybe I was not just cut out for this. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was not a leader. So I, I kept either reading materials or hearing expectations of what a leader could be. Yet day to day, I was struggling with things and there's no one guiding me on that. And that's why you know, I wrote an article and I'm going, I want to do more. And a lot of my talks on leadership is trying to rebalance the glory of leadership with the gory of leadership, right? Everyone is just like about the glory, the title, the names, the record. 
recognition, the commas, the zeros in your paycheck, that you know, like everyone just focuses on that. And it's such an unbalanced view. And you know, Chimamanda says this, the, you know, the single story, it's wrong. There is the gory. Someone needs to tell leaders, you will sacrifice. You will sacrifice. You will, you know, you will be up. Like sometimes, you know, there's a time I was on a call at 3 a.m. in the morning after a very long week uh, with someone in San Francisco. And I was, I was on, on that call trying to raise money to keep the lights on. Um, I asked myself, because I, like I told you, I was talking about, I was thinking about Joshua. Uh, and I always think about Joshua. And I was like, who in my team would be willing and able to do this, right? And sometimes the answer to those questions are very depressing <laughs> because when you know your team, you're like, wow, hey, okay. And I perceive so many people talk about the glory of leadership and not as much about the glory of leadership. And that is why we are not having the number and the caliber of leaders that we need in society today because so many of them gave up along the journey because no one was talking about the gory. No one was talking about you are, that you, will, you are human. You do get angry. You will speak out. You will speak back. You will, you know, and sounds like, oh my God, I can't believe she said this. She is human and you are acting foolish. <laughs> you know? So many of us find ourselves putting ourselves in straight jackets and not fully expressing who we are and the journey of our own leadership. I got to the point of realizing that there was this whole other side of leadership that no one was talking about. And instead of ignoring it, I embraced it. I was like, I am not going to be perfect. And you will not put that expectation on me. You can, it is up to you, <laughs> but I have chosen, I will not meet it, <laughs> you know? And, and then of course, talking to so many people who've been in the leadership journey and intentionally asking about the gory, because everyone's know, oh, how did you become a billionaire? And oh, tell us all the decisions that you made that got you there. I also, I also ask, okay, what did you do wrong? What could you have done differently? What do you regret? You know, and I've learned as much from that as I have learned also from the positive side. So my experience of suffering in the leadership journey and coming to where I am right now, and I'm not, I'm nowhere near there. Ooh, I have so much more to go in growing and learning and getting better, but I've come so far and those struggles. And like I said, I'm very intentional and I had to make certain decisions along that journey. And I made certain decisions that um, may not be popular to many people or may not be as acceptable, but I knew that there are decisions I needed to make so that I can fully experience leadership the leadership that I was meant to do in this journey. If you are to sit down with a, a young leader, a young CEO, uh, looking at you and wanting to be like you, what would be some of the things you would say to them? Well, I have a lot. Hey, George, I hope you're patient. I have so much. One, I'll talk about what I call my triads, my CEO triads. And there are two of them. Again, what I've learned and I've heard from people and I've like, synthesized for myself and for the people I, I support as well. Um, the first CEO chat is called the immutable CEO characteristics. The reality of the role that you're going to get for leading an organization and the expectation of that role is that you have to have these three characteristics. 
unfortunately, it's you don't choose one. <laughs> you just have to figure out how to build the three, right? The first one is being a thinker. And that's strategic direction and where is your organization going? You're not just a worker. You're told what to do. And you have to be done to be like, what's the vision? Where are we going? Are we on the right path? You know? And it's hard at the beginning. It's hard when things like COVID happen and everyone is looking to you to do that. So you have to be a thinker. You have to be a doer. I think this is not that you'll be the one who always implements what you're doing, but you have to get results. You're not there to be, oh, the process was hard. Oh, the ship did not dock because of these hard situations. No, I mean, people want to bring you on board and entrust you with an organization to get the objectives accomplished. That is why you're there. So you have to get to be a doer and get the objectives accomplished. The third is you have to be a talker because you can think and you can do the work, but how do you communicate that to other people? How do you communicate it to the team, to the board, to society, to your clients, to the people who give you money? Um, and what happens is that most people who come into leadership positions and leading organizations are strong in one or two of these areas. And it's my, my clarion call is you have to figure out how to develop the area that you're not strong in. Yes, in the interim, you can hire someone. And they, I mean, of course, there are stopgap measures. But if you really truly want to fully operationalize yourself in that role as a CEO, you need to think about how will I be a thinker, a doer, and a talker? And how do I get sufficiently strong in all those three areas? So that's the first triad I came up with. My second triad is what I call the optimization tension triad. Yeah. Big words, I tell you, George. Well, I've, as you can tell, I have thought a lot about many things. <laughs> and in this one, the goal is actually not to have all three. It's not possible to have all three. And the, the principle behind this is that at any one point in time, as a leader of organization, you're either optimizing for the organization, for the team, or for yourself. Sometimes you can optimize for two out of three, but you can never optimize for all three at the same time for every decision. And so you have to be intentional about the decisions you make and be intentional about who you're trying to optimize for. I'll give an example. During COVID, many leaders optimized for the team, meaning how do you keep the team safe? How do you care for their mental health? And it meant that certain organizational objectives may not be met during that difficult period of time, right? But it's a decision that you had to intentionally make. During, uh, for example, if you are restructuring your organization, you're optimizing for the organization. It is a going concern. It has to exist in the future. As the leader of the organization, it is your responsibility to make sure that it exists in the future. So you need to make difficult decisions in the short term for that long-term existence. So in that situation, you are optimizing for the organization. The team members will be let go. No one, is, no one is happy most of the times during a restructuring, right? Uh, but you see, you are not optimizing for the team. <laughs> You're optimizing for the organization. And I think trying to, trying to get a win-win-win situation in this optimization tension triad is very unrealistic and you're going to ban yourself. So every decision I make, I'm always trying to figure out who am I optimizing for? Sometimes optimizing for the team also optimizes for the organization because, of course, the team makes the organization. But unfortunately, the truth is the organization is a separate legal entity from the people who make up the organization, right? And sometimes that dichotomy has to exist as well, right? Sometimes I'm extremely tired, you know? For example, you know, during the Christmas break, we've closed the office and I'm telling people I'm offline. 
People will not respect that. They'll always be in your inbox, in your phone and everything. But sometimes I am like, no, I have worked hard when I was supposed to be working and now I am on a break. And enforcing those boundaries is optimizing for yourself so that you can be fully functional. And their team members will not be happy about that. And all the members of the organization, be the board, that might not be very happy about that. But in that situation, you've chosen to optimize for yourself. So those are the two triads. And for new incoming CEOs, like I think it is, don't take very long to learn this. I am giving, this is the Kenya. This is the cheat sheet from my experience. Start from here and build and learn other new things, right? Then the next one is around the glory and the glory of leadership. There's an ongoing balancing act. As a leader of organization, you answer to your board and clients, and then you answer to your team, right? And I think about it, and I always visualize it like an hourglass, right? And you are the CEO at the past, you know that narrow place with all the pressure, with all the sun trying to get, that is where you are, right? The team are bogged down with day-to-day operational challenges, you know? And this strategy and vision is so, you know, so, you, 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 know, you, you know, like utopia. And sometimes as a leader, you have to elevate the thinking of your team. Yes, this is a challenge now, but this is where we are trying to go. And how do I encourage you to move there? Either positively or I create enough pressure where there's no option but to move forward. You know, you have to balance these things. And then, of course, the board, you know, they don't have visibility on the day-to-day challenges. So then they are, ooh, blue sky thinking. We can be there. We want to be. And sometimes you just have to ground the board in some form of reality because some of the expectations might not be grounded in the day-to-day realities. And that balancing act is part of the glory of, of leadership, right? The Now, really tips, tips, and I'll keep them to about 10 plus a bonus one. The first one is, as a leader in any situation, the most, my experience has been the most important thing is self-leadership. You need to figure out self-leadership before you can lead a team or lead an organization. So if you're not self-aware, if you don't have self-discipline or self-regulation, please work on that. Work on that. And there are so many tools online, free, and there are coaches out there who can help you with this journey of self-leadership. The problem I see in so many organizations is that we have very many managers in leadership positions. And some people might not understand what the problem there is, but just like I can already see from your face, you know what the problem is there, right? And you become the limiting step to the growth and actualization of that organization or that team. But when you learn to lead yourself, and it's not a, oh, I know myself, it is a journey, but as you continue in this journey and you get better at it, it really shows up very well in your leadership of the team and the organization. The back stops with you. Hey, you are the leader of the organization. You're no longer the director at the, oh, the CEO said you are the CEO. <laughs> you are the executive director, you're the one who is saying, you know? And this idea, and people can speak to you and advise you, but the back stops with you. You have to make decisions. That is why you're there. You have to make the decisions. You have to be accountable for the decisions that you make. So be intentional about it. Stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking at the board. Like everyone has an opinion. They are very valid, but at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. The second one is what got you there might not sustain you there. 
And I say this because so many people climb up the ladder in organizations and in their previous roles, it was because of their technical expertise and excellence. And then they think they'll go to the CEO role and because I was really good at tax, I was the best at operations, you know, and it's the one that has gotten me the CEO role, but those skills are the ones that are going to maintain. No, it is a, this game is different. The rules are different. The expectations are different. Your excellence technically got you to this office. I am not saying that you stop being excellent technically. I'm just saying that it is necessary, but it will not be sufficient for the role you have. There are things that you need to do as a leader of an organization that go beyond technical expertise and excellence. Three, you as a CEO or the leader of the organization is the key investment case of that organization. And I will say this over and over again. The leader of an organization, unfortunately, we are still in that setting. And I, I don't believe in rock star leaders. I always think about really strong teams. But at the end of the day, let me tell you something. Ask anyone who is in investment, private equity, NGO, fundraising teams. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, the reason they give money is like, what do you think about the leader? Do we trust the leader? We believe the leader will take this organization to the next level. You know, you can, and if the leader is not strong, I assure you very few people will be willing to give their resources, be it time, people, money, or whatever it is to that organization. And like it or not, you are the face of the organization in so many ways. And so you have to invest in yourself, invest in your skills, invest in what you know and understand, invest in relationships and social capital, as a leader, you're the investment case, be a strong investment case. The fourth one, and something I struggle with a lot, make time to pause. The demands, the requests are never ending. So I've told you people outsourcing everything to you, you know, <laughs> like think for us, inspire us, lead us, cancel us, you know, <laughs> you are everything to some people, you know, and or they act like that, right? And so you have to be very intentional about resting, thinking, reflecting, and being intentional about taking a pose. I struggle, I'm not good at this, but it's okay. The fifth one is adaptability and flexibility is a muscle you need to build and keep exercising. Nothing will go according to plan. No one, no one predicted, nobody predicted COVID, but still your board and your team expect you to come up with a five to 10 year strategy on where the organization will be with so many unknowns. You know, we are, we are in a VOCA situation and you can make the plans and you can do all the preparation that you require, but things might just go wrong. And just being like, okay, this was the plan. It did not work. Out the window, next plan. Or how do we deal with the situation we have with? Don't be so married to this is what we had said we will do. This is how we need to go. I mean, I, I am those people who are, you know, are very intentional. I make plans and I want to make sure things happen according to the plan. But I have learned so much around all the best played plans, you know, we write in pencil, God writes in pen, you know, it's like he has his own idea, he goes with it. You're like, yes, reassemble, let's do this. The sixth one is you're getting into a new role. Quick wins, we build confidence. And why I say this is because I want to assure you that not 100% of the people believe that you should be in the role that you've now gotten into, right? And it's not 100% of the board and it's not gonna be 100% of the team, okay? There are people who believe they could have done a better job than you and you are their destiny thieves, <laughs> you know? And um, your first few days in a role, everyone is watching, like they are waiting for the blooper, you know? And you need to quickly identify 
low-hanging fruit, quick wins that you can consistently show so that people build the confidence in that you, they made the right decision, right? Know that. Don't be like, oh, they chose me, so they're happy. No, I assure you there was a vote and maybe it was seven to six, <laughs> you know? Six of the board did not want you, seven wanted you. So there are, there are the seven who need you to prove that they were right and there are six who need you to prove that they were wrong. You get what I'm saying? And quick wins are key for that. The other one is rise above, but don't be detached to office politics. I abhor office politics. I cannot stand it. It's, it's, it shows, in my view, people in the very wrong light. The truth is, it exists. Where two or three are governed, politics exists, okay? And being ignorant of politics is suicidal. <laughs> is absolutely suicidal. The politics in your board, the politics in your team, the politics with your partners, it's, it's, it's career suicidal, to be honest. Um, so don't be part of it. Don't be the source of rumors or propagating or adding your own, but be very aware of what is the politics that reign here and how do I navigate this, right? One thing I've learned is that um, my team are my colleagues first. Anything else, if they ever become friends, they are my colleagues first. And I do not have favoritism in the office. And I make that very clear. So I'm very firm and I'm very fair. But that means no one knows that they can come to me and whisper something at the advantage. You cannot, you will go nowhere. <laughs> you know, change if this is your office pet, you will achieve nothing. You know, and I'm very, 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 very open and clear about the fact that I have no favorites in the office at all and no one will get unfair advantage that is not deserved, right? And I feel that that is very important for some people to know. Uh, and it's important for you to make sure it's very clear to your team. Uh, the next tip, I think the eighth one, build and invest in your support system, your tribe. Your, yani, the people who, you know the day when you've gone to the office and you're just like, wow, I'm leaving. I don't, I can, I take what I have, I go, that is it. You know, like the, the day you're like, I'm done, done, done. Where you go to recharge, where you go to be challenged, where you get rejuvenated, what gives you joy, find that. And as much as possible, try and invest in that to the way you'll be able to. The ninth is you don't know everything and it's okay. Like I like this idea of this leader, the series, the, but no, you don't, you don't, you don't. And it's okay. You're not expected to know everything. You need to understand what is your comparative advantage as the CEO there and why are you there? And where you lack the knowledge, you can either try and acquire basic skills, but more importantly, hire the right people, bring the right people in the team. But that doesn't, I want to, Make sure that you don't think this is contradicting what I said earlier in terms of the investment piece. I'll give an example. Um, you know, I'm not an accountant. I hire an accountant. But I cannot be ignorant with, about accountancy. I need to have basic skills of going to the QuickBooks and looking and saying, okay, why is this my number not adding up to this? Why are we using this? Why are we? You get what I'm saying? Like, because the back stops with you. If money disappears, it doesn't matter that you need to know how to add one plus one. You know, <laughs> you are the responsible party. And so have the basic skills, but get the right person to do. And the 10th, but which is probably also quite important, I mentioned earlier, identify your leadership purpose in every leadership role that you take up. And your leadership purpose is not your JD. It goes beyond that. Like, why are you there? Why are you in that season at that particular time? And this might not 
come to you on day one, but be very intentional around figuring it out as you go along. And so that you are not supposed to be a Moses and then you are there trying to be the David, eh? the promised king. You're staying, you're staying, your organization is not growing and you are the roadblock. No, you know, or you are meant to be as G, John the Baptist, and you are thinking you're the Messiah. Eh? You are Christ. You are the one who was promised. It is you, you know, <laughs> you know, and then you become the reason why your entity does not um, succeed. Uh, so those are my tips for any incoming CEO. There's so much more. It's not all glory. As you've had, I put a lot of glory in there because you need to know that it's not going to be easier. It's not going to be easy, sorry. And doesn't get easier, unfortunately. But you just get better. So focus on you getting better because the work does not get easier. Thank you. Finally, and thank you so much for your wonderful tips. We talk about your legacy as a leader. What do you want it to be? I want my legacy to be threefold. My first legacy is I want my legacy to be, you know, excellence. That I did everything with excellence. And that is definitely one of it. The second one is that I created the spaces for young women from the global south to have an opportunity. For young people, predominantly female and predominantly from the global south. And so in any role that I play, I always ask myself, how does this create spaces and room? You know, in my current role directly, I've been able to, you know, employ 85% youth in a non-traditional youth entity, um, you know, to date, 100% from the global south um, in a, a very, you know, in international development, it's not something that is achieved quite easily. But I was very intentional. And there are so many like indirect impacts as well from the work that I do. So I want it to be that I created space for others who were young and or female and or from the global south. My third legacy is that I want it to be that I was firm because I am firm, but I was fair. Uh, so yeah, those are the th- three legacies that I would like to leave. And I am of the school, again, that a legacy is not something that happens after I retire or when I'm dead. I am living that legacy every day uh, of my life. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Angela. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your wonderful, wonderful story. Any final thoughts? Thanking you again, George, uh, for the opportunity to you know, speak and share my story and my experience um, that is unique to me. Um, I do hope that the audience does learn something and it doesn't have to be exactly their experience as well. So I'd love to hear um, the audience reactions to my thoughts and also their different uh, views. Uh, And also thanking you, George, for giving us this platform uh, to learn from many other leaders. Not many people have had the journey of people the way you're trying to present it. Uh, And it's good that you've tried to codify it in this particular way. So thank you for providing this platform so that we can share, but we can also learn from many others. Thanks, Angie, and all the best. And I wish you success in all that you do. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. 
We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.